0: Hello, and welcome to Verge ESP, a podcast about art and science on The Verge. My name is Emily Oshita. I am the entertainment editor at The Verge, and with me is... Hi, I'm Liz Lapato. I'm the science editor at The Verge. How's it going? Very good. I want to start off by talking about Fitbits, because I feel like Fitbits have become our bugaboo on this podcast, or like any any personal activity tracker on the quantified self. I feel like it's one of the first things we ever talked about on the podcast. We talked about it a couple weeks ago, um, and I talked about it also on the Verge cast a few weeks ago with Nicola Fumo from, from Racked, so for some reason... They're just back with a vengeance in the I Vox like, Media conversation.
1: I feel like they're my personal white whale, and that one day I'm going to harpoon them, but I'm going to wreck my entire <laughs> ship doing it.
0: Well, um, you should probably, if you if you want to harpoon them, you should probably book a flight to the state of Oklahoma because <laughs> there is a, a, an evangelical university or Oral Roberts. Oral Roberts University, Oral Roberts University. Yeah. Um, which, which is, is named f- after Oral Roberts, the, of course, the guy, the famous guy. Oral, go <laughs> Oral. Um, Got bad name for a school, but you know, and I, I'm, I'm sure they've had some some PR problems in the past. But they are they are making a big push to be hip and with it, and plugged in. Um, and that's,
1: that's why they're having all 900 of their freshmen wearing Fitbits. It's a requirement
0: now. Yeah. They are, the, as far as I know, the first university to do this. And this totally makes me think of everything that I've always been saying about Fitbits. They're going to be the collars from Battle Royale, and they're going to be required uh, to, be, to be worn, and they're going to explode if you misbehave. That's the future of Fitbits. Um, and it's starting right now in Oklahoma. So just you know, you heard it here first. <laughs> I mean, they. So the original when, when the story was brought to my attention, it was framed as in like, oh, are they trying to make sure that kids are not having sex? Um, right. Because,
1: because if you move a lot with um, no location data associated, I mean, you could be on a trampoline
0: or on an elliptical. You you right? could. That is also possible. <laughs> I was saying it could be like, what if you're just in your dorm and you're watching a scary movie, you're on the couch lying down watching a scary movie and your heart rate goes up. There's so many, listen, there's so many privacy
1: concerns here that I just, like they're, so like what they're, what's in that data that they're giving to the university that they're being graded on, by the way, in Uh case you were wondering if I was crazy when I said that like probably insurance companies are looking into this um, a few episodes ago. I mean, this is literally the model. Um, So they're they're, um, required to log an average of 10,000 steps per day and 150 minutes of intense activity as determined by heart rate. Um, And then they're going to be graded.
0: I mean, it's I in a way. I'm relieved that this is the thing that they say. At least they say that they are monitoring, because like there are worse things. I mean, the school you, you can't smoke, you can't drink, you can't have sex. Like I, I guess expulsion would be the 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 penalty there. Um, but uh, so so the the thing that they're tracking for to make sure you have physical activity. Okay, that's like innocuous compared to those things. Um, like, as far as like monitoring somebody or surveillance, at the same time, it's so not their business. Like it's so like I don't know. i I oddly started working out on my own for the first time when I was in college. Like it had always been mandatory in school. and so in college when it wasn't mandatory anymore, I was like, huh, maybe I'll go to a yoga class. That would be weird. And now I like work out regularly. I don't know. Yeah. It just feels like like the more that you enforce it on people, it probably has a reverse effect. But well, I, I mean,
1: I had, I, I had a very similar experience. I hated gym class. I yeah. hated it. I hated my gym instructors. I hated everybody in my gym class. I hated every part of it. You know that like opening series sequence of like Daria where she like is uh-huh. trying to play volleyball and her hand goes out too yeah. late and after she, a while people she, collide in front of her?
0: She that was puts me. Up her hand, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. that
1: was me. And like it was a discovery after college for me um, when I was living in New York that it turns out I totally like working out when nobody Same. makes me. Yeah, <laughs> totally. <laughs> Totally into it. I have to find something that I had to find, you know, workouts that I enjoyed, which meant, like, yoga and a great deal of walking and, like, the occasional elliptical machine. But, like, my God, it was, like, night and day. It was this thing where I was like, ooh, I actually I, I feel good. Yeah. I, I, and that's, like, a self-reinforcing thing. And because it's not being enforced from above, you have nothing to rebel against, you yeah. know? You're just like, do I feel like feeling good today or not? <laughs> I just can't imagine
0: that this like is this going to affect their enrollment? At all it's like cool. Yeah, I'm gonna spend like fifty of my my budget fifty dollars of my budget for college applications to try to go to school where they like literally have a GPS tracker on me. Well, like, they're saying... they say they're not gonna use it, but right. Well, who they're knows? saying they, they're also saying they haven't gotten any
1: complaints, which of course they would. But um, the thing that that strikes me as someone who went to school um, where I went to school primarily because of scholarship money is that you are using a portion of tuition to cover like all of the infrastructure and like tracking and everything yeah um, so the students are essentially paying for this it's not yeah. like they're getting free Fitbits yeah um, and I, I I wonder if that changes the equation for anybody who might have difficulty paying for college because I bet it might you mean like sweet free Fitbit oh. No, I mean like <laughs> really. I'm gonna be
0: spending an extra hundred and fifty dollars no, yeah, on this thing. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No, it seems it seems strange. I I can't I can't I can't imagine the appeal to anybody. I can't imagine that a student for whom like it, this would be cool wouldn't already just have a Fitbit, right? Like uh, I don't get it. Um, I, I, anyway, yeah, moving anyway. on. What else um, is happening? Well, SpaceX is going to be making modifications
1: to its Rocket Nine engine. Excuse me. Falcon 9 rocket. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I clearly have not had enough caffeine today. Oh, I have, uh, I'm
0: nowhere even close.
1: Nowhere okay. close. <laughs> <laughs> but so I guess um, when they reignited the engines uh, from the vehicle they had landed, they discovered some things. They didn't specify what. Uh, but SpaceX President Gwyn Shotwell um, spoke about the state of the company today at the Commercial Space Transportation Conference in DC. So uh, it looks like there's going to be modifications. They're going to make the vehicle even better for um, returning to Earth after mm. having been shot into space. So I, I mean that's exciting. It's something to keep an eye on. Like they're they're tweaking their model in order to make the the landings work better.
0: Yeah, I um, I wanted to tell you I saw. Um the new Werner Herzog documentary at Sundance. I, I wrote about it a little bit, but there's a wonderful interview with Elon Musk. <laughs> if you can imagine Werner Herzog talking to Elon Musk about his nightmares, uh, that that is that is what happens in this movie. But it's it's pretty fascinating because I mean Herzog is pretty like skeptical of the whole endeavor. I think right at least the the direction he's coming at it from, which is like let's get off of Earth as soon as possible, because that seems like the only inevitable future for humans. Um, but it's really interesting. That is a side note, a side aspect of space, oh, this,
1: space. This sounds like something I would want to check out, because uh, Werner Herzog is, is responsible for one of my favorite documentaries. It's called Happy People. Oh, I haven't and- seen that. It's remarkable. Um, It's impossible to tell from the translation whether the way that these trappers talk is actually just the way that they talk and they are perfect Werner Herzog subjects or like (laughs) if they've just been colored a little by Herzog or what is going on. But it's like, oh, yes, we are the happiest people in the world because we require no help from anybody. And there's like a scene where a Russian politician comes through with like on a barge with like dancing girls and is like making all these promises and everybody's standing there with their arms crossed waiting for him to throw the the food <laughs> and as soon as he does they all pick up the food and leave oh, like, man. they're like that's our entire
0: interaction with like politics yeah <laughs> just give us the food and go Ugh. um yeah i uh I, I don't know when that movie's coming out it's called lo and behold uh and i uh, and the reason is why it's called lo and behold is also kind of cute but it's about like the internet basically mm-hmm. which is uh it's a lot it's a lot to cover um but yeah i'm a lot I'm of just, internet a lot, a lot of internet, internet. out there a lot of internet, a lot of, a lot, of a lot of, space, a lot of um, AI. Um, oh man! Well, I can't wait to watch
1: that. I don't, I don't know what it's coming out, but I. Uh, yeah, this is one I of the few either. movies I will, I will actually go see. Yeah.
0: Um. So. Uh. uh this week, I, I got, I, I, I've experienced a couple of interesting things this week. Things that I, um, was either looking forward to very, uh, very fervently, maybe a year ago and have since cooled off on. The, that that the thing that's an example of that is Hail Caesar the new Cohen brothers movie which like for some reason in the last few weeks I've just been like oh maybe I'm not as excited about this as I thought I was when is it, it was, because
1: Channing Tatum looks like a Toms of Finland character or uh, that sounds
0: like an amazing reason to see it and I don't know why that would be a <laughs> n- minus so so uh <laughs> next but no I mean I think I think I thought it was going to be a little darker and like you know I'm I'm editing Tasha Robinson's review of it right now and and, uh, and Brian Bishop has also seen it and it just sounds like it's a little more it's a it's a, it's a it's a trifle um, and I, I like I like their comedies a lot um, uh, I like their dramas more but yeah. I, I kind of like when they go especially for Hollywood stuff when they go a little darker but anyway the opposite of that the thing that I was when it was first announced I was like oh that sounds like the most morbid disgusting thing I would never want to watch and instead like stayed up till 11.30, which is late for me last night watching, was the People vs. O.J. Simpson, colon, American Crime Story, produced by one Ryan Murphy, perhaps my least favorite person, like power player <laughs> in television right now, um, who does American Horror Story. He did Glee, um, he did, uh, what's the other show? I don't know, um, <laughs> like every show. He also <laughs> did like Eat, Pray, Love, right? Uh, Did he? I can't remember. I think he might have, um, but he did popular and nip tuck and all these. Like, I mean, he's like known for going over the top, like, and known for kind of like the 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 worst version of this sort of um, like racial slash political incorrectness. Um, that it's like, oh, it's offend-. like, we're I'm an equal opportunity offender. Like, I'm just gonna push those buttons, and it's really not saying anything. So there's no like. There's nothing cathartic or interesting about it. It's just, I don't know. There's a lot of that recently. I think Pitch Perfect is another example of that. Um, Anyway, when I heard that Ryan Murphy was doing a show about the O.J. Simpson murders, trial, whatever, I was very much uh, not into the idea and and since then have, have been anticipating it very, very fervently and watched it last night and was just riveted by... This show, which is it's a 10 episode miniseries. It's just an it's an anthology thing. So like apparently there will be another American crime story. It will be a different real life case. But the OJ trial is the first one. Um, Liz, you have not seen this, right?
1: I have not. What I have seen is Twitter. Yes. (laughs) uh, Which lit up last night, like just lit up. And there were some
0: amazing photographs of David Schwimmer. Oh, Yes. David Schwimmer is amazing in this. Uh, this is a digression. I, I want to set the stage a little more for it, but I just want to say David Schwimmer plays Robert Kardashian, aka Kim Kardashian's father, the late uh, his her late father, and he is just a teddy bear in this. Like I want I I, I ship him and Chris Jenner so hard. Um, <laughs> Chris Jenner is played by Selma Blair. Um, they are already divorced by the uh, the period of this film, but um, I mean there's a couple things uh, we we're going to talk in a larger way about nostalgia and how there's sort of this it's like a kind of flexible waiting period where we can go back and, and look at um, events from the past and kind of pick them apart and stare in, into their various voids. Um, X-Files, which we talked about a couple weeks ago, is among these things and now Gilmore Girls is coming back and Twin Peaks is coming back and Full House is coming back. Basically everything from the early to mid 90s is coming back in some way.
1: I mean, even David Schwimmer as a
0: casting choice is so thoroughly associated with Friends in the 90s. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, Friends was on when the OJ trial happened. So it's, I mean, one of these characters could ostensibly turn on a TV because it's being depicted pretty true to life and historically accurate, they could turn it on the TV and like friends would not be the wrong thing to have on the television. <laughs> uh, it would be period accurate. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's just so, yeah. A- a- anyway, I mean, I, I want to talk a little more specifically about this show first because um, the, the OJ trial has gotten more interesting, I think, as time has gone on just because of its weird ass legacy on reality television. Um, there are so many connections in reality TV that go back to the trial. Um, like, again, like Robert Kardashian is a character. He was a friend of OJ's and he worked on worked his case and everything. And, uh, and you know, you've got people that are on, you know, the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, like is a per- has a perennial side plot that usually involves the OJ trial in some way or another. It's like this thing that still haunts Brentwood, Beverly Hills, like the, the 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 Tony neighborhoods of West LA, and it makes it feel like it was a small town murder, like like you know something that would be on a on like a BBC or something like that, where like everybody knew everybody, and so it was uh, you know every it, it was the defining horrific experience of like a community's life. Like the thing that everybody was talking about that affected everybody. And it's interesting to see that now, like, oh, and then all those people's kids, um, slash those people now, you know, have gone on to uh, take their very, like, you know, Z minus list fame attachment to that and just like end up being on TV or having shows or something like that. It's very so, strange.
1: Yeah. So that's, it, it, it's weird because, um, what what year was the O.J. Simpson trial? Do you know? It is 95, 90, 95. 95. Okay. Yeah. Um Well, so two things. Uh the first is is a story from from my personal childhood um which was that um a little girl who I went to school with was kidnapped, raped and murdered. Oh my god. And, yeah, and it it was one of you know how there's like a missing blonde girl every summer, right? Anna was the missing blonde girl, so it was written about in the New York Times. It was on TV all the time. We had to stop watching TV because it was too much. Like yeah. I first found out that she was missing, like because my mom was listening to NPR. It was like it was a pretty brutalizing experience. Yeah, um, and like one of the reasons why I actually do not participate in a lot of these true crime things that people get obsessed with because if you've if you've been in one of these communities, if you've been up close and personal with this, there is something, and maybe not, maybe not for everyone, but for me, um, there's something stomach turning about people using it as pure entertainment.
0: Right, right. Um,
1: and, and that's very much sort of, I think, part of the legacy of the OJ trial, right down to like people parlaying their roles in it to reality television, you know? Like there's, there's yeah. an understanding that this was, as horrific as it was uh, and there that it was um something you could capitalize off of right it's interesting to hear you describe it as a small town also because in some respects and i'm sure you remember this um it was the entire nation that was watching this like people yes. i was in school and people interrupted the
0: class oh, to give us the verdict same no we watched the verdict in like i was in some i don't know orchestra class or something yeah it was uh it was like a legitimate I mean, I I just I think about when I think about the O. J. Simpson case, I think about how there were these landmark tabloid stories that like in a way kind of defined how I viewed the media growing up, like from a very early age. Oh yeah, O. J. and John Benet Ramsey. John Ramsey. Um uh, Tanya Harding and Nancy Kerrigan, which was deep deeply affected me. That was like because I was very into figure skating. <laughs> sure, yeah. Um, and then the Clinton the Clinton scandal, the oh my god, the impeachment, like that 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 those were the like landmark like talking point things that happened while like a generation of people were growing up, and that's like and that was like your your prism into talking about larger issues about. Not just the media, but like you know, race and and how women are treated and and everything and um, and just being disillusioned with the system in general. I think um, so. It's, I, I mean, so like I said, I I also recoiled at the idea of this show. Um, and there's also I mean, it should be said there, there's also a seven point five hour documentary that ESPN is airing on OJ Simpson. In I think it's going to air in June, but it premiered at Sundance. I did not see it, but Chris Plant did. Like they showed the whole thing, and it was so it was like a whole day. They had an intermission break in the middle. Wow. Um, and uh, and everybody that I read, Chris Chris loved it. Everybody that I read who saw it loved it. Said that it was just like an immensely important piece of work because like it feels like finally we have the hindsight on like what a what a complete portrait of America in the nineties that was like how, Mm. how far it reached into everything that was going on at the time. And at the time, you know, there's just so much noise about it that it's really hard to like see the signal and all of that. Um, But you know, the documentary is way more about him and his career and the way that he dealt with race and the way that the media portrayed him and all, and you know, just the fact that like, you know, there are people who, you know, were pretty sure that he was guilty, but still, you know, we're rooting for a um, a not guilty verdict just because, just for, you know, the sake of uh, of that as a symbol. And yeah. um, I, it sounds really great. I mean, I, I, I'm looking forward to seeing that. Um, like I said, it doesn't come out for a while. But like, it's getting interesting that we are having an, an, an OJ re-moment, I guess, right now. Um and the fact that they're like talking about it again on the Real Houses, Housewives of Beverly Hills, which is which is a show I cannot stop watching, no matter how hard I try. <laughs> um, but I mean, yeah, there there's that. There's the other thing that like is is coming up a lot right now is um, the financial uh, the financial crisis in two thousand eight. Um, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, not as long ago, but it does seem like there's this period, this sort of refractory period, where then afterwards everybody at once sort of does their thing on it or gets their script written or makes their show or something. Um, So this feels like, this feels like, because I agree with you. Um, I, I, I think that there's
1: a cycle of this stuff. So you remember right after September 11th happened, like five years later, people were starting to make about it mm-hmm. you know, very quickly um, yeah. without totally being able to see what the actual fallout of the events are, which I would suggest that we certainly have a better grip on now than we right. did then. Right. And so a lot of the stuff that we're seeing coming out of um, uh, the stuff about the recession, like The Big Short, for instance, is based on a Michael Lewis book, which is excellent if you haven't read it, but it was written really, really very closely after the actual events. Right. and it, So it only follows... You know, here are the people who saw what was going on, noticed it was wrong and bet against it. And it doesn't it doesn't totally track all the way back to what the root causes were (laughs) for the situation where the people noticed things that were going wrong, which go back to the Clinton administration, by the way. Right. Uh, The repeal of Glass-Steagall is a really big part of our housing crisis. Right. Um, But then. You know, there's also no way to shoot forward and and discover what the the, the long term fallout is because we still haven't had enough time for the long term fallout to occur. So we don't in some ways we we may be pulling the wrong meanings out of these things in the way that we did right after September 11th, where a lot of the stuff that was focused on that was very much about, yeah, raw America. And like now we're starting to see the fallout of like the surveillance state and permanently being at war and like Guantanamo and torture and all of these other things that came with uh, that moment.
0: Yeah, that there, we're... there's. I feel like there's two waves. You have like the immediate reactionary thing, and I feel like, like the like, Michael Bay's Benghazi movie is probably a particularly egregious version of that because it like was not that long ago, um, and it's just like let's just reenact it and get it out of our systems. Like like staring, it's like navel gazing, except like you're gazing at like a an event you can you have a fixation on. Um, so like you know. It's a way to, it's like a, it's like a part of a grieving process almost like, um, right. like reenacting it or something just to, just to get it out of the system. Or like when you have a song stuck in your head and the only way you can get it out is to play it again or something. Um, it feels like that, like United 93, I feel like is a, is a great example of that because it is just like a hyper-realistic reenaction of what happened and the value of that, the artistic value, it's almost like they left that to be determined. Like Paul Greengrass, who directed the film, like left that to be determined for a later yeah. date. It's just like, let's just get this out now while it's fresh. I just wanna like walk through it again because like I can't it's like these sorts of things that people get hung up on and wanna walk through all the steps again. Like the, the JFK assassination, all these things. Like, um, and then there's and then, you know, that's the immediate, like, first few years. And then I feel like given a decade or so later you can actually kind of put it in context and you don't take so many things for granted either i think is a big thing cuz like you said yeah. like like the big short like not um or uh, yeah just like not um getting super into glass Steagall and stuff like that or like or 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 just not uh not laying out the, the actual events of what happened cuz it's like oh you know you're here you know like right, you get you get the context of this, but actually, like ten years later, you actually have to la- m- m- lay it all out again, and in that, I think probably get a better perspective on what. That's happened. right, because and,
1: and I mean that's that's where I think OJ the OJ Simpson thing is now in that part of the cycle, because now um, as you're talking about OJ Simpson is a period piece, mm-hmm. right? Oh like, yeah.
0: That's half of the satisfaction of watching it, too. It's just, like, no perfect 1995. I know that feels, like, so arbitrary, but, like, 95 L.A., it's just like, I don't know, it sets off some certain things in my brain or something.
1: <laughs> I don't know. Well, I mean, and this is, you know, part of the joy of watching old X-Files episodes is you watch um, Mulder and Scully, like at first they don't have cell phones, and then they have huge, enormous cell phones, and then as <laughs> as the seasons go on, you see their technology shrink. And it wasn't a deliberate thing, they were just, you know, using whatever was um, most, au current at the time. Right. Let's put it that way. Like what an FBI agent would be using, but in retrospect, watching it with the uh, you know I've got a I've got an actual computer in my pocket, right? Yeah. So, like I take photos with and tweet and whatever. Um, so watching them with this huge brick of a handset, you're like, oh right, yeah. <laughs> That there was that period, wasn't there, where nobody had a cell phone except for extremely important people and they all left them in the car because they were so huge and required you know, charging constantly. And it
0: requires completely different plot fundamentals. Like when you can reach somebody and when you can't. I mean, it's sort of an interesting thing in the OJ thing that there are cell phones, but they're only things that like rich and rich and famous people have. So a lot of right. people are not reachable all the time.
1: And so, you know, when you when you start to think about these nostalgia acts. You know, the X-Files, Gilmore Girls, Twin Peaks, um, and then, you know, band reunions. (laughs) Like, to some degree, you wonder how, how you can make them immediately relevant and there are ways to do it but it often requires understanding the context around the thing slightly differently than you understood it in the moment that it was happening
0: yeah i mean i really kind of don't understand the band reunion thing i think I think I got turned off from it early because I went to go see one of the first sort of 90s band reunions that happened when I was like of concert going age was the Pixies reuniting. And I oh, went to God, go yeah. see him like it was like the first year I lived in L.A. And um, Frank Black's voice was so shot. I mean, it is so shot. And. It was just like, wait, I would kind of rather be like driving around just like listening to the bass or really loud, you know, like, yeah, I, I feel like I like I like the original product and I don't know if I get anything more out of context. I think there are certainly exceptions, but like this idea of let's do this again. But now feels like the, the time that the then of it is so important to the thing. It's so important for me for for Twin Peaks that like their hair looks like that, you know. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um so I have this habit of going to see punk bands, old punk bands, and so they're not necessarily reunited ones, though X was. Um uh-huh. But, like, I don't think Wire ever actually really broke up.
0: They just didn't yeah. release music for a while and then went back to releasing music. Which is, like, um, so amazing when it's just like, yeah, we're just not making music. We don't have to announce a big breakup. <laughs> like, right. We're just not
1: going to make music for a while and then we're going to put
0: out another album. It'll be cool. <laughs>
1: um,
0: but those acts
1: were so much fun uh-huh. because they they had been performing in the meantime. And so they had been working on their skills and they were really engaging and, like, you know, the wire show I saw was so much more energetic and the the stagecraft was so much better than a lot of very young bands that I have seen. Mm. And it's because these guys have been trying to figure out how to put on a good show for thirty years now, right? Yeah. Um so there you know, there are ways to do it. I, I do think that there are ways to do it, but you have to you have to think about a couple of things, right? Like, imagine if Twin Peaks comes back and it's not taking place now, but it becomes a period piece about the '90s, so <laughs> well, the, right? I mean, So Twin the hairstyle is the
0: same. The thing is, Twin Peaks was already kind of a period piece about the '50s, yeah, that took place in the '90s. <laughs> like it's like, I don't know. It, it was a little out of time. It, maybe it's not the best example, but the hair was definitely pretty, pretty '90s. All right. Well, I mean, <laughs> let's say let's take the X Files,
1: right? Let, let's say let's say that instead of um, having Mulder and Scully in present day what the show does is it picks up where the the show ends Mm -hmm. right um and ignores that terrible second movie and then they have to deal with September 11th but it's being written about from the perspective of what we know now about how September 11th will occur yeah yeah I mean it's only a thought like but Maybe you revive it as I mean, obviously the actors look older, so maybe that doesn't work. But
0: hey, anything goes on the X Files. It's true, like they they wandered into the Bermuda Triangle right, yeah. and wandered out looking older. Um, that would actually be like a legitimate plot twist. I would believe in that. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's odd because like you want like so much of the period of the original thing is important, but at the same time you don't want to rehash it. You don't want to feel like you're just like recessing and, 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 um, or regressing rather. Um, and, uh, kind of like just trying to live in the past, but then that's what the, the whole reboot thing is anyway. Like, I don't know what I want out of a, a Gilmore Girls comeback. I don't know what I want of a Full House comeback. If I feel like I really want to just like go back into the womb and like suck my thumb and watch an old episode of Full House, I'm going to do that. Like, I'm pretty sure right. they're on Netflix and I'll do that. Like, I just don't, I feel like it's all for the blog post, like that kind I mean, of
1: stuff. Maybe, but I also feel like, and I'm I'm watching this go on because I, wa- I wore crop tops the first time around. Like, there's this whole, like, fashion resurgence of the 90s that's being worn by babies who were not around for the 90s and, like... I sometimes wonder if that's part of what's motivating it. In the same way that, as you may remember, in the '90s fashions of the '70s were very big, oh, and people yeah. who had been around from the '70s were like, "Really, you do not want yeah. to be wearing that?"
0: <laughs> and they were right. You don't. You got your um, fringe vest from Wet Seal. It's all, it's all. great. Oh my God! Um,
1: your your parachute pants and your bell bottoms uh-huh. and your jinkos. All of it. Um, you know.
0: Yeah, I mean. I, well, fashion is like, I feel like fashion works on a really set clock. I feel like fashion works on a clock of about 20 years because, uh, you know, the 80s was totally a thing in the past decade. I feel like it, there's almost like a direct one to one relationship between those things. And I don't know. I, I, I was telling you about the the theory and I don't, I, I can't take credit for this theory cuz it's not mine. <laughs> that the, the, the genes get wider the more of a, a surplus um, a government surplus we have. So, uh, so Right. And I was <laughs> yeah, I, we're never going to see Jenkos basically again. that's that's, <laughs> that's the true. moral of that story. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's I I I don't it, it's interesting to then think about, okay, so we're doing 90s stuff now what what how does that how does the things that that resonated in the 90s like what new is there in this decade specifically that that adds to that or augments it or something like what what are 90s concerns that we have like a new view on now like I feel like the internet is a huge part of that oh yeah um Um, we also talked about this
1: a little when we were talking about the x-files how there was this period where we like we're literally told, okay, history's over. The world's at peace. Yeah, <laughs> there was a period of about a decade where that, and that that decade was the '90s, mm-hmm. and so, so maybe that fuels some of the nostalgia. Like yeah. it's like this time before the fall, right? Where like America was the greatest force in the world. Nothing challenged our supremacy, and you know, terrorists were things that happened elsewhere. Yeah. And like I, I mean, I don't mean to denigrate like the Timothy McVeigh Oklahoma City bombing, mm-hmm. um, which was definitely a terrorist attack and definitely framed as such. But you know, our, our sense of our sense of threat came mostly from within rather than from without.
0: Yeah. Um, and that has changed entirely. I just thought of something that's sort of crazy, like thinking about that 20 year period more or less. Like so Greece live just aired. Uh, mm-hmm. this past weekend, uh, which, and I remember Grease being really big when I was a kid, like same, it was not new, but it was like, there was sort of a fifties moment or something. And I, I don't know, like it was like poodle skirts were cool or something. Well, when was, when was Grease released? It was the seventies, 70s, seventies. So the Greece nostalgia in the 90s was nostalgia for the Greece in the 70s, which was in turn a 50s nostalgia movie made in the 70s. Yep. Like, the- yep. <laughs> <laughs> and also the same as Happy Days. Happy Days was also a 70s sitcom that was set in the 50s. Like, I mean, this, it, it's not a new thing. Like, that's, that's always the thing I want to, like, come back to when people start talking about, like, oh, like, we're stuck in a nostalgia moment. We've always been stuck in a nostalgia moment. It's always, like, like, you know. People had, like, gay 90s parties in, in, in the, the 40s and 50s, you know, like, where they would dress like turn-of-the-century people. Um, it's, I, I I don't know, it's it's not a new thing. At the same time, like, I always want to question it. I always want to ask, like, okay, why is this resonating now? Like, why why do we want to, like, I don't know, dress like Daria and wear goes and stuff and, uh, I don't know, go to Claire's? <laughs> <laughs> I got stuck yeah. in the mall there for a second. But
1: Right. No, but you're right. Like what about this is appealing. Yeah. Um and I yeah, I think that there's certainly a sense of, you know, time before the fall um to that, 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 that people I think are invested in, especially given, you know, how overwhelmingly bad the news often is these days. Yeah. And then also there is, a, of course, this nostalgia cycle you're talking about um, that 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 shouldn't be discounted in any way, and certainly has been going on for quite some time.
0: There's um, there's also just the fact that that you know you come of age and then you make the things that you remember. Like the people who are making entertainment now are the people who were kids in the 90s. Like,
1: so right.
0: it just makes sense from an an age factor. But still, then I think about times like the 70s, where it's like I felt like like I guess there is a little bit of nostalgia to like a lot of the, what we think of the iconic filmmaking of the '70s being, but at the same time, it was very forward-thinking. It was very, I don't know, it was very much like doing away with the past. So I, I don't know. It comes.
1: I have, I have, I have a suggestion, uh-huh. and it's not going to be a surprise to anybody who's a longtime listener. I think it's the brands. Yeah. <laughs>
0: The brands you know are depending I mean? upon. Well, I mean, of course they are. Like, Netflix knows that its prime audience are all kids who, like, want to just live in the 90s.
1: Well, and also, these are things. I, this is the simplest and dumbest reason why everything that you grew up with is now being re- electronically reprocessed and sold to you again. You already know what The X Files are. Mm-hmm. You already know what O.J. Simpson is. You already know how it's yes. going to end. You already know about the. J- the Gilmore Girls, you already know this. It's already familiar. Nobody has to educate you about anything. It's easy, and it's, like, an easy thing to publicize because everybody already knows what it it's is. Qu-
0: it's quantifiable in a way that, like, a new property isn't, which goes all the way back to, like, any, like, the just complete overhaul of, or the complete overtaking of everything by franchises and, and Marvel yeah. and everything. Um,
1: so I feel like brands are definitely accelerating this
0: trend. Yeah. It's bankable. Also, like, fun thing about People vs. OJ, you know what's going to happen. Guess what? Makes it more exciting. It's been totally spoiled for you, (laughs) and it's fun to watch because you know what's coming. So stop getting mad mad at me about spoiling the Revenant on the Vergecast. I hear you. (laughs) I see your tweets. I do not respond to them. I'm not blocking you either. I'm just, I'm just letting you live, but just don't be mad at me. It's just, it's a dumb movie and you should probably know what happens (laughs) anyway. Right. Well, but also here is, here is my beef since we've been very clear about the,
1: our, our editorial stance on spoilers on this show. It's not your show.
0: (laughs) Also So we're going to keep, we're going to keep spoiling things. Sorry. Yeah. Um, well, we should we should move on. Um, spoiler alert: we didn't spoil the last segment, though. Um, no, we haven't. We haven't yet discussed the last segment,
1: um, which is the CDC um, sent out this remarkable press release, <laughs> um, suggesting that um, women um, women who are uh, at risk of exposing their developing baby to alcohol shouldn't drink. And the way that it's worded is really peculiar. Hmm. So it opens with, you know, 3.3 million women between the ages of 15 and 44 are at risk of exposing their developing baby to alcohol because they are drinking sexually active and not using birth control to prevent pregnancy. This is literally the first line of the press release. Uh, Parentheses. Sluts! (laughs) <laughs> uh, and so, and commentary. so, the bottom funny. line here, you know, there's like there's sort of two threads here, and the first seems reasonable, which is if you're trying to get pregnant, you've gone off birth control, you probably shouldn't be drinking, even though you may not be pregnant yet, um, just because the the first trimester is really important for fetal development. Um, and that, that seems like it makes sense. It's something that you would discuss with your doctor as you're thinking about like getting pregnant. But then it goes someplace really crazy because it discusses how many pregnancies are unplanned. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then it says, there's no known safe amount of alcohol, even beer or wine, that is safe for a woman to drink at any stage of pregnancy. And then alcohol can permanently de- harm a developing baby before a woman knows she is pregnant, said CDC Principal Deputy Director and Shoe Cat. Um, about half of pregnancies in the United States are unplanned, and even if planned, most people won't know they are pregnant for the first month or so when they might still be drinking. The risk is real.
0: Why take the chance? You know what else has a like a, a risk, or like what, what alcohol can potentially do, like to you know, if you drink it, like harm you, what? the person who's drinking it. Right. Like you could you <laughs> well, could get in a car crash even if you weren't pregnant, and you would still like hurt yourself. Regardless of whether or not you were carrying a baby in your baby sack, like
1: turns out alcohol is involved in a lot of fatal accidents and also a lot of disputes that end in death and a lot of parties.
0: Um. (laughs)
1: Um. So but like what's what's what feels crazy about it is that they're essentially recommending that if you're not on birth control and you're sexually active, you shouldn't be drinking. Yeah. That, that, is, that is the part that has, that has a lot of people, including me, pretty pissed off. Because like, if your problem is that people might have an unintended pregnancy um, and expose uh, a developing fetus to alcohol, um, okay, well, A of all, plan B is legal. Uh, mm-hmm. If you happen to have a night of unprotected sex for whatever reason, maybe you forgot a condom, maybe the condom broke, just haul yourself down to a local pharmacy and buy Plan B. Yep. If Plan B is not available, that seems like something that maybe the CDC should look into because having uh, access to reproductive health seems important. But B, you know, there's still abortion, which is legal, by the way, Mm -hmm. FYI, it's hard to get because uh, there have been a lot of restrictive laws passed in the last couple of years, but they're still legal. You can still totally get an abortion. Um, And and then the other thing that seems strange to me uh, about the way that this is being phrased and put out is that uh, if your problem is that there are women who might have an unintended pregnancy and might be drinking... Maybe you want to make birth control easier to access, perhaps by having it be available over the counter instead of via a doctor's visit. It's only a thought, but it's a thought that California and Oregon have both had.
0: Yeah, yeah, it just, it, seemed, it, it it does seem innocuous at first. When I first read this, I was saying, you know, well, it seems like, it seems over cautionary in the same way it's like, you should never ever smoke a cigarette, but you can probably smoke a couple cigarettes in your lifetime and be just fine. Uh, it just seemed like covering their bases for people who are intending to get pregnant, are trying to get pregnant, like, a.k.a. people who have gone off birth control. But it doesn't really specifically state people who are trying to get pregnant. and Instead, it's just like going off of birth control for any reason. And it still kind of assumes in the way that a lot of pro-life rhetoric does that a woman is just a baby-carrying device... That's right. Women aren't people. We're people factories. Yeah, we're people factories. And like, like anything like the th- I mean, like I also I also want to pick the part, the, the sexually active
1: part, because like, um, as, as many of you know, uh, my mom does not date men. Um, mm-hmm. My dad was the last man she dated. And uh, there are a lot of sexually active women out there who are not necessarily at risk of pregnancy, right. um, <laughs> either because they're infertile. Yeah or because they prefer to be with women or because uh, they weren't born with uh, certain reproductive organs mm-hmm. I mean all of these people are still women they still count as women <laughs> Are you sure <laughs> They don't necessarily need birth control you know what yeah. I mean So this whole thing just like start to finish is 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 weird and like there's something particularly weird to me about deciding that the way to approach it is to get a bunch of women to modify their behavior instead of, um, I don't know, making reproductive health care easier to access, CDC.
0: Or even just like you could encourage that same behavior modification, but you could encourage it just as like a, hey, maybe don't drink alcohol because there are tons of risks to you as a person if you drink alcohol. I'm not saying I would follow that advice. I drink alcohol, but like... It wouldn't be. It it would it would be just more of a hey for your well being. Maybe think about drinking less, which I don't think anybody would argue with at all. But when it becomes, I mean, think about drinking less because of your baby. Like I, I don't know. It's a little. It's insane. Yeah. It's like I mean,
1: you could just as easily recommend that men shouldn't drink at all, so that they can remain sober enough to put on condoms. <laughs> that that makes literally as much sense as this recommendation. It's true. Yeah. Um. So that anyway, that's my personal advice. If you are a man, um of reproductive age, uh, you shouldn't drink um, because you might have an unplanned pregnancy. Or
0: just, like, drink a lot because then, like, you won't be able to get anybody (laughs) pregnant. Um... (laughs)
1: <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's just it's it's it doesn't make sense. Um, and it, there is this general pattern that the CDC has of viewing all women of reproductive age as like pre-pregnant, and that's why they do things like recommend that if you're a woman of reproductive age, you should take 400 milligrams of folate every single day, just in case you become pregnant, because uh, that way you know otherwise your your baby may be at risk for um, neural tube disorders. And here is the thing. Uh, the people who belong to the most at-risk groups mm-hmm. are not necessarily the people who are paying close attention to what the CDC says.
0: Yeah. Yeah. They're not getting their press releases. Like, this is a very specific audience. So, it's all they're about... not even going, going to the doctor, the, necessarily. They're not even seeing... Like, right. A, yeah. Pre- precisely. And
1: so, you know... it, 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 it the thing that frustrates me is that the CDC is often a source of good information on health. And when they put out stuff like this, what they end up doing is undermining their own credibility by essentially, like, tre- again, if you treat all women as
0: being pre-pregnant. Um, yeah. <laughs> you have a yeah. problem. Yeah. Pre-pregnant. <laughs> pre-pregnant and post-pregnant. Those are those are the two states of being a woman. Right. Like
1: the idea that you might never decide to have children at all. Like, Yeah. Like just boggles their minds. We
0: need like a new yeah. It's sort of like uh, it's like B C versus uh, B C E. Like yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> we need a new um, a new marker for the turning point there. But
1: and, and you see this happening with Zika as well, where it's like oh, you shouldn't get pregnant if you're in one of these countries, and it's like cool. Well, there's no abortion access, and in many of these countries, birth control is hard to get or illegal. Yeah. So yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Um. Well, thanks to the cdc for um looking out for our babies and us i guess uh no (laughs) and um uh we should wrap it up uh but i uh that was not uh, that was not that was that that was not an intended pun um (laughs) (laughs) but we'll be back next week um and hopefully hopefully with a guest hopefully we'll get a a a third party in here and we're I, it up. I have an idea which I'll talk to you about okay we're gonna get somebody in the room but or in the booth but um, <laughs> but thanks for listening everybody please subscribe to us on iTunes we are Verge ESP um, follow us on SoundCloud soundcloud.com slash Verge ESP and follow us on Twitter I am at Emily Yoshida and I'm at Ms. Lapato, M.S. Lapato. and that's it that's our pod we'll see everybody next True. week Give us a review. Bye, guys. Bye.